Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Greetings from the Polar Vortex. <laughs> yes, it's cold. It's cold. Right. This is like trapped inside like we are on the space shuttle or something like that or in the International Space Station is how we feel today. This is Mike uh, and I am here with number one drummer in my band, paranormal enthusiast and ghost hostess. That's me, Wendy Lynn Stotts. Checking in from Chicago, actually, the heart of the polar vortex. And and also joined by my lovely, not crazy at all sister. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Yes. Um, I don't know, Wendy. I think (laughs) maybe we got a little colder than Chicago today in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I am reporting from. I, you know, I don't even have uh, internet. Uh, I mean, I have internet through Sprint, but uh, Spectrum has been down all day. So no. So the internet's down. Yeah. In essence, the world is ending. Yeah. I mean, it really seems <laughs> like it. I mean, my mother-in-law, she um, has phone and internet through Spectrum. And like we were calling and they were like, they're not answering the phone. Why not? Oh, no. And then the miracle of miracles, she actually had her cell phone turned on in case someone might be calling her. And we reached her that way. I mean, that. Uh, that and she's over 80 years old, right? Yes. So, um, yeah. So, an 80 year old that keeps a cell phone on, that's like, thank my God. Thank <laughs> that, God. That's like a unicorn right there. That, <laughs> right. That's what it is. So, I'm trying to save my minutes. So, really, all day, no internet. So, no Netflix is what I'm saying. So, I'm. I have oh, my, gosh. My How did you survive? I, I don't know. I mean,. <laughs> It's it's like going back to the caveman days here. So like I watch like a, a big like monolith, you know, I just like knelt before it and hung out with the monolith all day. So, so that's what I did. <laughs> that sounds good. I, I was figuring you might like make a doll like Laura Ingalls Wilder or something like oh, that in the prairie. Yeah. But also coming from the other side of the polar vortex, the other side of Lake Michigan, we got with us uh, a paranormal enthusiast, John Keel expert. And uh, a fellow weirdo we, uh, that we met at the Michigan Paracon, and that is Mr. Steve Ward, coming to you from just east of Battle Creek, Serial City. Remember the old cartoons, the best to you each morning? I mean, anybody that grew up on cartoons was inundated with Kellogg's cornflakes and, and all that good stuff. In fact, when it's not so cold, if the windows open just a little bit, you can barely hear the snap, crackle, pop coming from Battle Creek. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you could smell the Fruit Loops. Oh, I'll use that one next time. You know, I, 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 tend, I, I tend to use the same taglines too much. So, Yeah, I, I like think it. I, I smell like the Fruit Loops right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that, we're a little bit late this week um, because of the polar vortex and, and, you know, the whole uh, some, some travel issues and everything. But we are back with the latest and greatest and in, in weird news and things like that today. And uh, I got to say, 
like because all the all the news has been on the weather, you had to search, you had to dig a little bit deeper this week mm. uh, when you wanted to get weird. Well, I feel Mike. I think the weather itself is weird. I mean, if you go back, you know, just a few years, you you find some strange connections. Uh, so we can ex- okay. Well, hit yeah, us with well, it. we can explore that. All right, so, let's go. So the polar vortex. Okay. Is it connected to global warming or not? Well, um, I go to the uh, (laughs) Guardian, firstly, and they talk about how um, Donald Trump, of course, is using the polar vortex to mock climate change, to say that, you know, hey, it's it's not happening at all, Um, and and saying, um, hey, you know, temperatures are falling. He tweeted, he tweeted, in coming days, it's expected to get even colder. People can't even last outside, even for minutes. What the hell is going on with global whamming? Oh, oh, you meant to say global warming. Uh, oh, God, he spelled it he wrong. He did. Oops. He did. What the hell is going on with global whamming? I wish we could ask George Michael, but he's no longer with us. So what the hell is... And I don't remember the other guy's name, so we're lost. Uh, what the hell is going on with global warming? And then he said, please come back fast. We need you. And then some scientist actually said, well, we're glad you asked about that because there actually might be a connection between these extreme temperatures, hot and cold, and global warming. And the the climate change's role could actually be pushing the Arctic air further south than it would normally go. And they also reminded him that, hey, you know, we do have global warming, but if you lived through the last few years, you might have noticed, even though the planet is warming up, we still have winter. So that's not going to go away. But he, had, he hadn't noticed, uh, you know, with all the global, global whamming going on. Um, so in the U.S., we had record uh, breaking highs uh, this year. Uh, in fact, it's I think it uh, 2018 is the warmest year on record. But we're also experiencing a record lows as well, and we're gonna just explore why that might be. What is that like? What the guy who always does on, goes on coast to coast, and his book is like it's about climate change, but it's that we're gonna freeze to death instead of global warming. It's like not by fire, but by ice. Oh yeah, you guys heard him on coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm not sure about that guy. I, I know who you're talking about, but uh, we will talk about another coast to coast alum, uh, Whitley Strieber, in just a moment. But um, so okay. the the cold snap. Actually, I was watching. Um, the Today Show today, and 85% of the contiguous United States were below zero today. So I- Wait, how can that be? Because there's, there's, there's so much- Okay, the contiguous United States. Like, that's the continental United- The yes, parts that are, are, we're all touching each other? Right. right, okay. Is it by area or is it by, like, quantity of states? Mm, that is a good question. Um, but it was oh, predicted. We're going to have to ask Al Roker. Yeah, yeah. we got to ask Al, what did you mean by that, Al? Because that was very, very frightening. So so anyway, what might be happening 
um, with the cold snap is that the jet stream, which is this uh, air current that um, is flowing, you know, between us and the Arctic North is actually becoming unstable. So uh, the jet stream, you know, usually keeps uh, the polar uh, vortex, which is this air mass which, which swirls around the North Pole at bay, and then it keeps, you know, the more temperate uh, readings where we are, um, where they are. And so what has seemed to happen with um, the loss of a lot of the polar ice is whereas before during the hot summers, the uh, sun's heat wouldn't penetrate into the water. It would be blocked by the or reflected by the ice. Uh, now that so much of that ice is gone, it's actually uh, penetrating into the, the water, causing uh, the water temperatures to be higher than they normally would. And then in winter, they start releasing that extra temperature. And then that creates winds, which... Um, blow the jet stream around and actually um, blow the um, polar airs north further than they normally would go. South, you mean further? Oh, than yeah, yes, uh, south. Okay, so, just make yeah, it, all right. Blow, it it okay. blows these winds um, caused by this warming actually blow the, um, you know, they, they create a, a problem in the system where it's, un, it's not stable anymore. They destabilize the system and then are pushing the air, the the polar vortex, which normally just hangs around the North Pole lower, more southerly than than it would go um, in normal years. And they're talking about this weakening in the jet stream as being one of the cause causes for why we're seeing these polar vortexes more and more. Uh, the last time we experienced this dip was in 2014. But, uh, you know, scientists well, are taking this seriously. What I like about seriously. that is you're the first person who actually tried to explain it. <laughs> usually when you have some, like, well, no, usually when, like, your racist uncle or several says, I'd like some global warming, right. um, you know, whatever, or says it like that. Uh, then all of a sudden, you know, everybody just kind of snickers and says, well, it's science and this is what I heard and you're just an old jerk. So it's good to kind of come out and say like, actually, you know, there is a reason why these things are happening right. and going into it and not just like, not just taking either side of a, a culture war here and say, well, you stand over here, Donald Trump stands over here and, you know, I won't, you know, and I won't take either side or things like that. You say like, actually... Um, let's look at what's happening to our weather and maybe pay attention to it because it doesn't matter on which side of the political divide, we all have to share the planet. Um, and so let's make sure that it's nice. Right. We all have to um, look at reality too and see and try to figure out like what might be happening. So uh, the Guardian, which is a reputable source, quotes uh, Jennifer... Francis, who's the senior scientist at the Woods Hole Research Center, which is um, a climate change research center, a weather research center. And um, she's she points out a little bit more about what's happening. She's, she's saying that that the evidence is there and they're putting it together right now. But it is a complex system. She says we aren't entirely there yet, but there's more and more to support for this concept 
And um, so what, what she's saying in essence is that there's some evidence that, as I said, the jet stream, which is this meandering air current that flows over uh, North America and Europe is slowing and becoming wavier as the planet warms. And the jet stream interacts with the polar vortex, helping bring bring uh, numbing temperatures further south. And then s- some other scientists also point out uh, that there's a complex sequence of events that involves the sea ice, which is rapidly diminishing in the Arctic, and as the ice retreats, summertime heat that is absorbed by the dark ocean um, is later released into the atmosphere during winter, spurring winds that can disrupt the polar vortex. So instead of keeping it where it usually is, it's pushing it down. Now, how does this all lead to the day after tomorrow? Okay, well, so, okay, the day after tomorrow. That's all we want to know. Is not science, but... Um, it it does it is influenced. <laughs> you don't say it, right. It's just, it's a movie for entertainment purposes. But um, if you go to it, didn't even succeed on that level. Okay, well I enjoyed it anyway. So Whitley Strieber, All right. um, who you guys might know from uh, the book, uh, and then later the movie Communion, is uh, and he he you know he's written you know scads of other novels and the movie wolfen which was really great werewolf movie uh back in the day wolfen's a great one yeah yeah so albert Fenney fights werewolves sweet i loved it so anyway he is an incredibly talented writer and he's all also of course way into the paranormal because you know he says that he's been abducted by aliens um and that was a subject of communion and later sequels now he also thinks that the ice age might be triggered by global warming. And he has an article on his site, unknowncountry.com, called Ultra Cold Air Causing Freeze, uh, Record Freeze in Much of U.S. and uh, U.K. And he said the reason that this is happening is twofold. First, the Gulf Stream is no longer strong enough to drive warm air up to the U.S. East Coast. So now we're talking about another uh, air current, the Gulf Stream, uh, near the Gulf of Mexico. So that's no longer strong enough to drive warm air up to the U.S. East Coast to contain... That sounds nice. Yeah, it does. To contain polar air in the Arctic. And uh, second, the sun is moving into a minimum during which less solar energy is reaching the Earth. I don't know about that. That means less sunspots. Yeah, and Wendy, sunspots. That's not good. For, that does not bode well for us. Maybe we'll just have to make up for it. Hell yeah. Now, so let's go back to the 2004 movie, The Day After Tomorrow, which was uh, which was based on Whitley Strieber's book called Superstorm uh, from 1999. And he claimed that um, actually his impetus to write that with Art Bell, who we just lost last year, uh, was that he met with some kind of maybe extraterrestrial, interdimensional teacher um, in this book uh, he calls The Key, who told him uh, that this would happen. So it was like a prediction that um, the sea levels would warm to such an effect that that they, they caused um, this changing of the air currents, um, which would lead to extreme weather and then um, spur a new ice age. So that's what that movie is about. And it, of course, you know... Well, there's no aliens in that no, movie, No, but it's, it's um, directed by Roland Emmerich, who uh, directed Independence well, Day. So Stargate. 
Yeah, so it's a very yeah. unless you're gonna say that Jake Gyllenhaal is extraterrestrially good looking. <laughs> he, he is, and and so is Dennis Quaid. And so so anyway, they um they they had the director Roland Emmerich who um directed Independence Day. So you have these huge scenes of like a tsunami hitting New York and L.A. destroyed by uh, by uh, huge twisters like a, a gang of them destroy L.A. and then the the whole of the United States freezes over and Dennis Quaid is first in a race to get the president. He's like, hey, dude, we have to evacuate the southern states into Mexico or the whole United States is going to be done. The whole contiguous United States done for. And then he's like, well, what about the northern states? And Dennis Quaid says, they're done. Oh, <laughs> They're already yeah. icicles. It's too late for them. So, so now we see our our uh, eminent future there. But we have a cousin in Florida, and we have another cousin in Hawaii. So I'm thinking we just need to get that plane, those plane tickets going. But um, isn't it interesting that at, <laughs> at the end of the movie, there is no wall. Here we get political. Here, Uh-oh. there is no wall separating in the United States and Mexico because um, what the pro- the president does is he forgives all of Mexico's debt, and then Mexico accepts all the refugees from the southern states of America, and. There's no wall to separate us, so we get right in there and survive the the uh, next ice age. And then the cartels wow. all kill us. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, but this also <laughs> reminded me of a, a classic Twilight episode. I don't know if you guys remember because it's from Wait, Twilight or Twilight, Twilight Zone. Very Zone. different yes, things. Yes. I got got to be clear on that. So uh, not Twilight. No, I didn't say that. Cut that one. So the sparkly vampires. All right. So a classic (laughs) Twilight Zone episode from 1961 called The Midnight Sun. So it uh, centers on this this woman and her landlady, and they're in uh, her sweltering New York apartment, and everybody has evacuated except for them trying to actually move north where it's cooler because of extremely high temperatures. And uh, it's midnight when the episode begins and it's 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And they the temperature slowly rises. And this woman, Norma, she's a painter and she watches uh, her beautiful, cool jungle scenes and waterfall scenes. Like actually the paint starts to melt as the temperature goes up to 120 and 130. And her, her elderly landlord just dies right in front of her of heat stroke. And thankfully she wakes up and the elderly landlord is attending her in bed, and then the doctor comes in and says, oh, thank God, it was just a fever dream. And then they look outside, and they see this unbelievably heavy falling snow. So unlike in the dream, when Earth was hurling towards the sun, getting closer and closer, um, you know, on a march to its eventual destruction, Instead, now it's spinning off its axis away from the sun, and we're all about to freeze to death. 
right. So that's so one. Not by fire, but by ice. Yeah, yeah. That's one um, classic episode where it was a surprise ending, and it was a oh, it was all a dream. <laughs> but right, and then we all die. The anyway. twist was you're still dead. So that's one of my favorite. I just remember seeing that and just being overcome with fear. Well, I remember when the coming global superstorm came yeah. out. Like that was tw- that was 20 years ago this year. The coming global superstorm came out and yep. we were all in millennial fever, weren't we? Like this Y2K, the end of the world. Oh yeah. Um, like we were ready to go. Yeah. That was, that was 1999 when the, the book came out. There was a, uh, there was an NBC miniseries called The Big One about California falling into the ocean. Yeah. There was a Y2K miniseries and there was the, the first episode of Family Guy. It's all about how <laughs> Y2K is, it causes the end of the world. And right. every commercial on the Art Bell show was for uh, the wave radio. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or get your canned food. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do if you can't find people? food? You're going to die. So I just want to close my story here with, I think, you know, Rod Serling always had this just such poignant narration. His closing narration reads, the poles of fear, the extremes of how the earth might conceivably be doomed. Minor exercise in the care and feeding of a nightmare, respectfully submitted by all the thermometer watchers in the twilight zone. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good. <laughs> you gotta love Rod, and the endings of those stories were always the best. So we could avoid we could have avoided this entire polar vortex if we had just listened to Whitley Strieber and his alien friend. 20 years ago. Yep. I mean, I didn't know the day after tomorrow originally had a extraterrestrial inspiration. And here's a little tidbit before we stop talking about the cold. And I'm going to say we're the first people in Wisconsin to stop talking about the cold <laughs> this week. Uh, a little tidbit. The original uh, Team America, the World Police by the South Park creators, that was a, a marionette movie. Um, that was like making fun of the idea that America's the world's policemen. And the original idea behind when well, they were to make a marionette movie of the day after tomorrow, but they were to take a script for script, shot for shot, and remake it with marionettes. And that was their original idea. And then getting like the actual rights to it was too expensive. So they decided to make a, you know, a musical and it was brilliant and all that kind of stuff. But it was just funny. They're like, they were watching Day After Tomorrow and they're like, you know, it's so serious, so epic, so all these things. <laughs> and they're just sitting there like, you know, we should do this with marionettes. <laughs> yeah, they were inspired. But you know <laughs> what? It, I, I got to say, Whitley Strever, sometimes really madly brilliant. And, you know, I, I really love the guy. I have this, I don't know, thing about him. Um, but, you know, he, he does go on and, you know, sometimes – well, a lot of times what he says seems very extreme and unbelievable to me. But then sometimes he has these flashes of brilliance. And yeah, the day after tomorrow, it's not science. But it is about something that we're t- seriously talking r- about right now, which is changes in ocean temperature, which are causing uh, these bizarre um, temperature Um, extremes. So right now, as we are experiencing the polar vortex, uh, it's like 114 in Australia. Um, It's a record high. So stop using that hairspray, everybody. That means, Steve, I want you to throw out your bottles of aqua. Uh, (laughs) What about, uh, can I still use dippity do? (laughs) <laughs> dippity do is environmentally friendly i think whitley streber actually has coupons for it at the end of the coming Perfect. global superstorm 
Uh, you know, you know, speaking of dippity do, Steve, now you said you, you found an interesting new paranormal connection this week, and uh, we would love to hear about it. Okay. Well, as some of you know, and especially Allison knows, that my, my passion is, is finding connections, uh, past and present, like out of you know, folklore with modern-day UFO experiences and different types of what we think of different types of paranormal phenomena with cryptids, UFOs, and so forth poltergeist phenomena where we find these really strange uh, I think connections and patterns at least I'm not I can't be dogmatic about it but it's just very fascinating the way that uh, you know so many researchers John Keel Jacques Vallée uh F.W. Holliday who was a, a uh, Loch Ness researcher they, they start out thinking this is physical it's flesh and blood it's nuts and bolts and then all of a sudden, you can almost see them to the point where they throw their hands up in the air. And it's like something doesn't work. Ron Moorhead uh, believes that uh, Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature. He captures those great Sierra sounds that have been examined uh, of, of, of calls of Bigfoot in the Sierra Nevadas. And then eventually he comes to believe that Bigfoot, and he writes it in his new book, uh, Quantum Bigfoot, that Bigfoot is interdimensional. So it seems like uh, most people kind of follow this path to one degree or another. Uh, they're just uh, um, What I've talked about before is the uh, people that have experiences. Now, let's go back briefly to uh, Anne Jeffries, a lady in the 1600s. She uh, claimed to have these detailed encounters with the little people, the fairies, right? And uh, My yes. favorite. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, well, good, because we, we know that uh, there are uh, many parallels between folklore, the fairies, the uh, the, the gnomes, the, the trolls, and so forth, with with some modern day UFO experiences, and later on we can talk about if you want the the great Joe Symington case of the cosmic pancakes. But I'm not going to talk about that right this second. It's it's. <laughs> weren't we just talking about space pancakes last week, Mike? <laughs> we we were talking about space pancakes last week, so that may make a return appearance in a little bit. But there are many many connections with that. But anyway, Anne Jeffries would have these detailed encounters, but the thing is. She didn't leave her room. She would go into a trance and she would have these experiences that weren't dreamlike. They had, they were events like a, with a beginning, middle, and an end. Okay. Let's come a little bit more forward to the 1950s. Orfeo Angelusi, one of the famous contactees, maybe, maybe second or third to George Adamski. You know, the George Adamski met Orthron, <laughs> the Venusian in the <laughs> desert in 1952. Of course he did. <laughs> yeah. uh, then we had we had Howard Menger that met his own aliens. Well, Orfeo Angelusi had all these detailed experiences with the beautiful Space Brothers. But he would fall into trances on the couch and he wouldn't go anywhere. But he would have these very, very real experiences to, to his own mind. All right. Well, there's another another case that I came upon very recently, and this one, uh, I mean, we can get as much into it as you want, but it's very detailed. Uh, in 1976, it started. This is Northeast Wales, Cluid Wales, and uh, mm -hmm. it happened to the uh, Sunderland family. And by the way, just for reference, it's in a, a, a really obscure book called Alien Contact, Close Encounters of the Extraterrestrial Kind. And I just dropped something on the floor. Oh, that's great. <laughs> That's all okay. right, Steve. As long as it wasn't that's, your brains, we're fine. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, they'll never fall out. Uh, but uh, uh, one of the researchers is Jenny Randalls, great British researcher, who uh, is another one that uh, I follow a lot. But uh, 
uh, they they uh, this was a, a really hot summer. It started in July. Uh, a lot of this centers around Gaynor Sutherland. She was about nine years old at the time. They're in kind of a rural area. She's taking her bicycle out on this uh, little two lane in the middle of nowhere, and she sees this craft, this silver cigar craft that at first she thinks must be some kind of a carnival float. It lands. She sees this uh, strange man walks out from behind it. He's about five and a half feet tall, very stiff movements. She knows something's very wrong. Uh, he uh, he has kind of a long face, uh, a pointed chin, and very pale and, and large eyes. Something something isn't right. And then a little bit later, this, this woman comes out. And uh, it, later on, one of her uh, brothers uh, has an experience. And, and even later on, I mean, as you follow this, what they found out, you know, after a, a couple of years, they've, uh, Jenny Randalls and her crew have been uh, talking to these people and they find out they've been seeing strange lights all the time. They've been seeing uh, shadow people. It's one of these classic cases where, you know, they didn't even think about some of the things that happened in the past because they didn't have any frame of reference. But, but one of the younger brother describes a case and he was put under regressive hypnosis and they look like the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. Oh. His picture, when Jenny Randall saw it, she made the reference and thought, holy cow. But these other ones didn't. Okay. But my point is this. Uh, later on, Gaynor, she uh, she's, goes to sleep one night and she has what seems to be a dream, a uh, dark uh, tunnel, a, a bright light. And then she ends up and she sees these two aliens again, only before she seemed to see them in real time out in the field. Right. Uh, but now... They're, they're there in this, whatever it is. Uh, the colors are very bright, and they, they tell her their, their name is Arna and Pars, all right? And uh, they, they give, you know, the same same kind of uh, 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 messages that people get. You know, you're special. We're going to implant something in your brain for, for, for later on and, and so forth. But the thing is that when, when this is going on, her mother had gone upstairs to check on her, and she, of course, hadn't gone anywhere. She's lying in bed, very stiff, like she's in a trance with her arms uh, stiff by her side. So she is having one of these experiences where it isn't, you know, isn't really dreamlike because it has, you know, again, a beginning, middle, and an end, and, and a me clear message and so forth. So what I was thinking is, you know how uh, in some of the abduction cases, we have... Uh, uh, people that think they're, they feel like they're floated through walls and so forth. Yeah. They go up to the crowd. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, if this is happening in a mental state, whatever, even though it's an external cause, this could easily explain that. But uh, uh, the, the problem is with, with this, I thought that's great. You know, here's, here's a pattern we can find. There are other cases where people, they, they're, they, they have the missing time, they come back, and then they find out that. Uh, you know, their feet are all wet from the dew and the grass or their clothes are dirty or their, their shirts put on backwards or, or the wrong way or, bu or buttoned wrong. So you get we get this strange paradox all the time where, you know, you think you figured out something, but then it explains some of it, but it doesn't explain all of it. We still have this, this strong physical element. And then you have the more, I don't know, paranormal, ethereal, elusive element. Well, what's interesting about that, Steve, I think about the first time that I read Intruders, uh, when you talk about that and like Intruders, the whole idea is that like the aliens, they just come through the wall, right. you know? And so when they're talking about it, it's like that, that scared the crap because it felt like 
There is nothing we can do. There is no defense against these creatures. No place is safe. Right. We are we are powerless against them. We are we are but ants <laughs> to you, oh great extraterrestrial overlords. But I, you know, I think that's I, I love that idea that you're connecting something from uh, the 16th century and bringing it into a a, a 1970s case. And uh, one question: so when she said that there was an you know they were going to implant something in her, um, this is in the 1970s. Were alien implants already a thing by that point? This was more of a, I, I think the impression I got was they were telling her that she uh, was going to be implanted with an idea or concepts or some knowledge. It wasn't okay. necessarily a physical implant. Uh, but again, going back to John Keel, uh, one of his catchphrases was that great photograph in the sky. People are getting these messages and you know, people think that uh, when they encounter an alien or they channel this, uh, this spiritual being or whatever, uh, they think it's something new. And nope, this hasn't happened before. But if you go back in the literature, people are getting the same messages generation after generation back hundreds of years. Uh, you know, you can go back and find people that channeled, uh, that, that had, uh, they believed visits to Mars. Uh, there's quite a few old tomes about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Emmanuel Swedenborg uh, uh, thought he was, uh, con- you know, communicating with uh, people from Jupiter and so forth. So, uh, the same things are happening over and over again, and we really have to, you know, question. I mean, they do seem to be from an external source somehow, and you know, possibly extraterrestrial, possibly something, you know, uh, much more earthbound. But uh, I, I always find these uh, these uh, things uh, fascinating. Uh, I remember back in uh, about 76, I think, they came out with the Sandy Larson case. And that was a a lady that had a a bizarre abduction experience in North Dakota. And that was one of the first ones that I had encountered with uh, uh, heavy paranormal overtones. Because prior to that, we didn't have a lot of abductions. You know, that we'd see the the humanoids in conjunction with the craft. But we were more used to uh, Betty and Barney Hill, you know, something that, that seemed to be a little more physical. Although... Right, nuts and bolts. Yes, but... That used to be my my go to. Like, okay, this is getting crazy, and the paranormal all over the place, and nothing works. But I could always go back to good old Betty and Barney Hill, who were had a, a nice, uh, you know, medical uh, uh, diagnosis with no deductible and no copay <laughs> aboard that ship, right? But, Completely free healthcare. <laughs> yeah, it's Medicare from space. Call Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I love it. The thing is, if you go, if you look at to see what happened to them afterward. It's even more bizarre. I mean, it's it's just uh, uh, they had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena in the house. They had uh, uh, Betty's earrings were gone when she was abducted. One day she comes home and on the kitchen table is a bunch of dirt and leaves and her earrings sitting on top of it. Uh, oh, Bigfoot it, dropped mean, it off. There's just, just one thing after another. Her uh, uh, Barney's son, Barney Jr., her stepson was stationed in Panama. He's standing watch one night in the military and a gentleman comes by all dressed in white and he calls himself Mr. Geist. Ghost in German. Right. Yeah. He's, it's, you know, he's, I I mean, I've stood uh, night watches in the, in the military, nobody's around. And so the only thing he's interested in is the, the strange things that happened to his, his father and his stepmother. 
And so he comes back in different successive nights. The regular, the brass finds out and they, they think, what the heck is this? So they, they get poor Barney Jr. They're asking him all kinds of questions about this weirdo all dressed in white, asking him all these strange questions. And it, get, it gets stranger. I mean, other, other family members experienced uh, strange phenomena. So uh, that kind of shattered my my nice little uh, E.T. paradigm that I could always go back to with Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, a lot of these things are connected with, you know, perhaps uh, other dimensions or maybe the astral plane, you know, the fabled astral plane that we have this physical body and then we also have a spirit body that we can travel in and perhaps there's there's beings who know how to uh, control that environment more than we're able to and can affect us very deeply without us ever leaving our the safety of supposed safety of our bedrooms. And it's been it's been going on for generations in different guises. You know, sometimes we think they're they're gods or, or spiritual beings or or ET or or whatever. Uh, what did you guys talk about with the uh, the pancakes? Is that the Joe Symington? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> it, it was actually. Oumuamua. Yeah, Oumuamua. And oh, okay. how how um, some scientists believe it was more of a, a, a pancake shape than uh, the the artist depiction, which uh, typically shows uh, a, a cigar-shaped uh, <laughs> whatever it was. So <laughs> A big silver bullet flies yeah, in the sky. It's the newest but, flavor you know, at IHOP, the space pancake. Yeah, but this, you know, leads us to another connection, Steve. So... Uh, so your story today, Wendy, talks about yes. maybe other relationships that we're having with these maybe non-physical beings, maybe spirits. What's what's going on? What uh, story were you researching, Wendy? I actually was wanting to talk a little bit about an artist who recently passed away, Susan Hiller. And she just passed away on Monday. Uh, she was 78 years old and just a fascinating person in that she started out wanting to go into the art field, but she instead ended up going into anthropology and did a bunch of studying of that, and then took that and started applying it to various works of art. But she uh, got grouped into the British conceptualists style of art from the 60s and 70s. However, she would say that she was a paraconceptualist because she was fascinated with the supernatural. I like her already. Yeah. What's she doing tonight? Oh, she's dead. So... Um, <laughs> One of her quotes from an article in The Guardian just a few years back was, she said, I'm interested in occult powers, and if people find this ludicrous, that is their problem. I'm not a true believer, but these things are there, and to say they aren't is ridiculous. So she wasn't afraid to uh, just go out there and use that as inspiration for her artwork. And just to give you some examples of her works that were paranormally inspired, (laughs) one of the first earlier ones was a work called The Sisters of Menon. Back in 1972, actually, it was a a seven-year project where she would use the process of automatic writing. And we've touched on this a little bit before in the past. This is where somebody just freely writes like a, a monologue that's coming to them in their head. And usually it's kind of in the format of someone else speaking. And where those voices come from is anybody's guess. (laughs) 
Um, right. So, so that's how it's related to all these stories that that, you know, there's these other beings that are reaching us um, in this case, you know, th- through the process of just writing. But, you know, who knows if that's coming from you? It's coming from some kind of channeled source, maybe some some spirit beating. Yeah. And Allison, there was another work that she did that I, I thought of you instantly. Yeah. It was called Dream Mapping. And that was where she wrote about the dreams that she and her friends had while sleeping inside the middle of fairy rings in Wiltshire, UK. And uh, these fairy rings were rings of mushrooms claimed in folklore to be portals to a spirit world. And so uh, she (laughs) did this project and she described it as intensely serious and very funny. And I got inspiration for my next camping trip. So thank See, you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, go. Allison, this hits you on so many different levels. The mushrooms, you're a big fan of mushrooms. The fairies, you're a big fan of fairies. So, uh, But also the fact that a serious artist was using this as inspiration and was, was channeling that kind of energy is really cool, I think. So you can go camping in a fairy circle and take some mushrooms, Allison, and see what happens. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's like double the mushrooms. Nice. That's the oh, kind man. of live podcast I'd like to see. So meta. freaking out. The fairies are here. <laughs> They're talking to me. They're talking through me, man. So long as Mike doesn't stick in a toadstool in the middle of one of them. Ooh. Oh, that's I right. I was just kidding, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hey. Then I'll just, you know, describe a few more of her works because you might want to look her up if you weren't familiar as I wasn't actually until I started delving into this. But she did a video project called Psy Girls, and that's spelled P-S-I, where she used video clips from movies of women using telekinetic powers. And then she kind of coordinated that with some audio that she created and had these clips playing on a loop. So that brings in the whole telekinesis aspect. And she also had an art installation that was an audio installation where she had a room full of these little tiny speakers and each one had a different recording from an alien abductee telling about their experience. So you'd walk through the room and you could hear these different voices of the people who had been abducted by aliens. And she was also fascinated by UFOs and abductions and that kind of thing. There's a ton of other works that she's done, but one of the newer ones from 2018 that I thought I would conclude with was called And this will give you a nice little clue that the title of it, Illuminazioni, is a 30-minute high-resolution video work bringing together scientific data with subjective experiences. And the main focus is on witness reports of mysterious encounters people have had with unexplained phenomena of light. And situated against a background of cosmic light waves translated into audio by scientists with visuals derived primarily from static on analog television containing Tiny traces of the Big Bang. So as you can see, she wove the science and the mystery and the unexplained. And I think uh, she was a fascinating person and an artist to check out. And I'm sorry that we lost her this week. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're teaching us about her because I'm uh, just, you know, looking at an article again from The Guardian. And she worked with the experiments of Constantine Radova. That's right. So she was also into... In instrumental transcommunication, another, you know, like larger concept of which EVP, electronic voice phenomena, is a subset. So, yeah. wow, I wish I would have known this person. Well, that's what I was thinking when you mentioned the, the static. 
yeah. you know, a little bit of stack of the TV. Because, I mean, when you think about the spirit box, which I have not yet had a great experience with, but we're going to watch Hellier in a couple of weeks, and then we'll try our <laughs> own Estes method cool. and see right. if we can make that happen on seeing the other side. And that also connects to um, what Steve was saying before about the Hopkinsville goblins, because, you know, that's, the, that's one of the subjects of Hellier. Um, by our friends, yeah. uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. So one more thing about uh, Susan Hiller. The cool thing about the Sisters of, of Minon was that she was doing a collaborative telepathy experiment with her friends. It was called Draw Together. So while they were working on the, the art project, they were trying to send each other messages from all over the world. And she said that when she tried to do it, uh, she was surprised to find that she started just writing. Oh man. Um, cool. She felt like she she felt like she was receiving something. And she felt she was getting this this powerful collective female solidarity of sisters from Thebes. So mm. from ancient Greece. And uh, the women's movement of the 70s that Hiller was a part carried an interest in ancient Greek auricular women. So like the oracle at Delphi. So women with prophetic powers. And, you know, with the sacred, like the sacred prostitutes, they were involved in that too, right? No, I'm not sure about that, about their their power to uh, prognosticate. Can can we do a segment on these? (laughs) That's a whole episode of a segment. I I have a couple friends that would be fascinated. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, now you got me back in a religion. But so, okay. So the the thing is when her partner, David Coxhead tried to participate, first of all, that is a very male name. That's unfortunate. That the media, the media mystic telepresence inscribed no men. At least, I'm sorry, at least his name's not Dick, (laughs) (laughs) Dick Coxhead. Uh, That would be even worse. Right. No, just, just... Uh Excuse me, Mike. I might have a bad connection here. I'm, I'm hearing something. Uh-oh. I don't know what that was. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, right, right, right. You're I apologize. Oh wait a yes. minute. It's from Allison. It was. It was from Allison. I, I so, so the thing is, so um, somebody pointed out that no men, uh, like that she got. You know, she. You know, so her boyfriend or her husband or partner, or whatever, uh, tries to participate with them, and he tries to send messages, and the first message he gets is no men. Uh, you know, it's like it's. It's the she woman man haters club That's or whatever right. that she's Get out of here, Dick's We don't want even your kind around here. Lippert points out that this is this is uh, somebody who's done research and, and written papers about her work. Uh, that no men is an anagram of Menon. Right. Oh. Yeah. So no men. Hashtag no men. Uh, when you're going to participate <laughs> in the draw together experiment. Um. But the thing is, is like it was originally a telepathy art experiment, and then she started to feel that she was getting messages, and then started doing this automatic writing, very feminine centered. And you know, this is the nineteen seventies, and so uh, Susan Hiller was woman, and she roared, yes. and she roared with a paranormal voice, and um, you know, that's absolutely fantastic and and fascinating. And uh, you know, I wish I would have known about her art sooner, yeah, uh, instead of wasting time on Picasso, because <laughs> like. <laughs> I like triangles are cool or whatever. I get it. But she was doing automatic writing. Yeah. And I just, I really like her not just using the supernatural or paranormal as inspiration for art, but also, you know, she has that scientific bent as well from her anthropology study. So it's just very cool to see that. And I'm looking forward to checking out more of her works now. <laughs> yes. And, and the thing is, she was inspired to study anthropology by Margaret Mead. And Margaret Mead was very instrumental in bringing parapsychology into the mainstream of the scientific community, where it's being pushed out now 
by Richard Dawkins and his ilk. <laughs> That's right, his ilk. His ilk. I love how you just turned into Stewie all of a sudden. <laughs> that's Stewie. You put a little Stewie disdain spin on it. <laughs> right. Well, I love. No. I, you know. Actually, the truth is, I love. Uh, I think Richard Dawkins is a brilliant writer. I think he's got a lot of great things to say. I just don't agree with him. That's fair. I, I think it's cool that he married uh, one of the Doctor Who's Doctor Who's companions. <laughs> and so, like, I, did I not know that really. Yeah, Leela too. The second, no, not Leela too. Um, Romana too. There was the dark-haired Romana, and then the second Romana with the blonde hair, uh, he he married her. All right. Good to know. So he's, yeah. So not the wild so woman. He, that was Leah, right? No, that was Leela. Yeah, Leela, the lady, yeah, she, yeah. This, I like Leela of the seventh team. Anyway. That's right. She would be on board with the whole no men thing. Hashtag Of course. No She'd kill the men who tried to join. <laughs> That's kind of like, that was Leela's thing. All right. The most interesting thing I think I saw this week, this just happened yesterday. So we're talking to you. Actually, I'm sorry. This happened on... Monday, long known as the Nevada Test Site and now called the Nevada National Security Site, the sprawling landmass deep in the southern Nevada desert is home to some of America's most sensitive installations and pockmarked with craters from past nuclear explosions. It's here that a peculiar and deadly incident occurred on January 28th, 2019. I like how newspaper articles aren't even written like newspaper articles anymore. I was just going to say that sounded like a movie trailer right. voice should be reading it. They're written like blog. In a world, you know, in a world <laughs> right. with a nuclear test site. Okay. What we're talking about is the Nevada test site. And that is where 992 nuclear explosions took place from like 19... 19- 41 to 1990. 1990? Really? That late? Oh, yeah. I think maybe 1992. But the thing is, is that when we could no longer bomb the crap out of like these islands in the Pacific and we had to keep things more secretive and everything like that, then we brought it home to Nevada and they picked a desert where the weather was, you know, mostly easily predictable and they decided to start blowing nukes up to, you know, to end the war and the end the Second World War. And Monday night, a guy like drives drives right through uh their like their security and the gate and everything. And uh he starts driving through the Nevada test site. And the thing is, the Nevada test site is not as fiercely guarded as Area 51, but uh, it also has got plenty of, you know, U.S. secrets there. Sure. And it's also a, a kind of a dangerous place because of all the fallout. We'll talk about that in a second. And, uh, you know, I almost think that this place may be house more secrets than Area 51 uh, th- because this idea that everybody knows about Area 51, nobody thinks about the old nuclear site as a place to keep things. Mm. Um you know, they're all, everybody's always got their eyes on it. You know, that you can go to Google Maps and you can see that there's a satellite looking at Area 51 all the time. Yeah. But who's thinking about this place that most people consider, well, kind of abandoned, kind of, it's, it still has a one mile long airstrip that not a lot of people talk about that they still guard kind of secretly. And this guy like blows through. And so uh, there's a private contractors that guard this particular place. Um, so they're like black ops kind of people. They're like Blackwater. It's not even like regular U.S. soldiers. It's like mercenaries that guard this place too. So you can just imagine everybody's probably smoking, goatees. I can see a lot, <laughs> like a lot of headbands. Like whenever you think of mercenaries, you think headbands. Not just you think of Dog the Bounty Hunter. I don't do. You? <laughs> 
the thing is, Dog the Bounty Hunter is guarding the Nevada test site. Boy, Steve, this whole now, TV show thing or movie thing is coming together here with all the visuals. It is totally. It's great. Now, Steve, when you were, uh, you said you were, did some guard duty in the military. Did you ever have anybody blow through on you? Come flying by? Blow through? Oh, no, no. I, I actually guarded a, a nuclear submarine wow. for a while. Topside top side watch in port, you know. So, uh, and we, we uh, you know, we had our sidearm, you know, just in case any comedy saboteurs tried to get on board. But, uh, you know, I didn't have any, didn't have anybody storm the, the boat. Good. Okay. Good. That's, that's good. My father-in-law spent several years on a nuclear submarine. He's got some, he's got some pretty interesting stories. Nothing paranormal yet, or at least not that I found out. Um, but I'm hoping one day to secretly get him drunk at Christmas and have him like bust out and be like, <laughs> you should have, I've seen some shit, man, at the bottom of the ocean. Um, <laughs> So, okay. So this, the chase goes on for eight miles inside the Nevada test site. The car pulls over. The man gets out of the car with some type of metallic cylindrical object and he confronts his pursuers, but he's not dropping it. He's not responding to verbal commands and they popped him. They just shot him, you know, right there. Oh man. And, and that's it. Okay. Here's the incident that came, um, the National Nuclear Security Administration, we still have one of those. Thank God they got all the appointments made it. They run the site, and here is their, their statement. North Las Vegas, at 5.18 p.m. Pacific time, an unidentified male failed to stop at the Nevada National Security Site security gate in Mercury, Nevada. Both Security Protective Forces officers, SPOs, mercenaries, uh, you know, life is cheap, and Nye County Sheriff's Office, Kingdom Nye. Nye, where Art where Art Bell used to live, that's right, took up pursuit. After driving approximately eight miles past the security gate, the individual came to a stop, exited his car, and approached both the, they say SBOs, I say mercenaries, uh, and the uh, Nye County Sheriff's Office with a cylindrical object in hand. The subject refused to adhere to verbal commands. When the subject approached officers, he was fired upon. The suspect died at the scene. And mysteriously, everything's gone. No, they didn't say that. So what about the cylinder? What is right. it? What's in the cylinder is the, is the next question. Well, when you described it, the first thing I thought of was that shaker, that hand percussion that I have that I use. Uh, it. Right. So, <laughs> oh, no. The exercise we, device? <laughs> no, you know, right. The, 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 the shake. You know? The shake weight. What is it called? The shake weight. The shake weight. He branded yeah, right. shake weights. Right. And maybe well, he was, was just trying to help them to pump more iron, you know, because... You, you can you can be arrested for, that. <laughs> I was for, for shake weighting. <laughs> put, down the sh- put down the shake weight. In some counties. Put down the... Not, not, well, not in Nye County, because it's in Nye County, one of the uh, counties where prostitution is legal. Oh. Again, I, I didn't so. know there'd be a quiz. Oh, I know... I know what you thought. Oh my I was gosh! Hey, okay. No, I think it is because Pahrump, Nevada, where Art Bell used to live, that's where the Moonlight Bunny, the um, like the Bunny Ranch and stuff. Oh, okay. So back to the ah, shake, okay. shake weight. You right. Know, was okay. He, so was he, he takes actually out, demonstrating he, to show them, you know, like how they could effortlessly pump iron so they get like <laughs> even huger biceps. Or, and no, like what happened shoulders? was he was using the shaker as percussion and they shot him because it's like <laughs> nobody really needs to pay the percussionist. Oh. I thought he was off the beat. Hey, they're like, they're like, Cheap really? Shot. We already have a drummer. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Like the bongo player too. Like the, like they just, <laughs> they just shoot him. No, but it's just a very interesting thing that this, this happened just Monday night. What, what happened? Why did the guy, you know, blow through the security gate? Uh, he, why did he stop and confront them after eight miles? What was he holding? And 
was it that dangerous that they needed to kill him? Did he say anything? Well, they're not going to say like, I know the truth. You know, like, yeah, he came out and he he explained that he knew our secret plan. So we had to kill him. But nothing is said about the recovered cylinder because they must have recovered it. Well, I'm sure. But they'll probably have a press conference about it. Maybe because enough people will check. I'm hoping George Knapp is all over this. Yeah, this this does seem to be because it's uh, 65 miles uh, northwest Gosh. of Las Vegas. And you know, the, the thing about the, the Nevada test site that I thought was really interesting was that, number one, we found out how much nuclear fallout can hurt people. Persistent and substantial. There's a, a paper that came out in 2017 um, measuring the effect of atmospheric nuclear testing on American mortality patterns. And this particular paper estimates up to three hundred to 400,000 people in the United States died from cancer, radiation poisoning, things like that, from the fallout of the hundreds of tests at the uh, at the Nevada test site. And you know, most famously is, and I remember hearing about this story like you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago and seeing people talk about it. There's this movie that uh, John Wayne was in called The Conqueror. Oh, that's right. And this is where, okay, number one, this is where John Wayne plays Genghis Khan. <laughs> so you so talk about musty. whitewashing a role. It's a must. Oh, I mean, the thing, right. They, like, they, they put him on makeup, they give him the mustache and stuff like that. Like, they made John Wayne look like a Mongol. He just should have, if he had worn the chaps, he could have carried it off. <laughs> <laughs> he was almost there. He was almost there. But but the thing is, is that they filmed it in St. George, Utah, which was like right downwind of the Nevada test site. And so of the like the 220 people and the crew that worked in St. George, Utah on that particular film, like 90 died early of cancer. Yeah. John Wayne being one of them. Well, now John Wayne, I mean, he did smoke four packs a day. Wow. So it's not, it's not like he wasn't pushing it. <laughs> but also John Wayne had stomach cancer. Like he didn't die of lung cancer. Yeah. Um, and people have been talking about it for at least uh, since 1980. People Magazine article in 1980 reported that of 220 cast and crew, 91 had contact contracted cancer with 46 of them dying. Also, it says this... Uh, like this quote from a scientist at the Pentagon's Defense Nuclear Agency uh, says, please, God, don't let us have killed John Wayne. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, man, we killed John Wayne. Gosh. But here's something else I didn't realize. Okay, so we talk about that, like that may be, I mean, that may be a coincidence. It was the, it was the you know, 50s, everybody's smoking. Um, we didn't know that much maybe about carcinogenic substances. Or really um, anything. But the, but the thing is, the government has paid out $2 billion in settlements to people who lived near the Nevada test site in compensation for health problems that have occurred over the national average w- wow. with cancer. And different well, kinds of at least problems. they tried to make good on it. Yeah, but but two billion dollars, and you know you can you can still take the, the Nevada test site. You can actually there's certain areas you can take a tour of it, and they have like a bus once a month where tourists can see the majority of the nuclear tests you know happening that happen in the United States, and you can see some of the craters. You can see the the ghost towns. You remember the be, uh, the beginning of Indiana Jones and the uh, interdimensional aliens, whatever that one was, the last oh, one. Oh yeah, the last crusade. No, that's not the last crusade. The Crystal Skull. Yes, yes. Okay. Kingdom of the Crystal the, Skull. Thank you. So in the beginning of the movie, he's 
inside of that town, like he's inside of a ghost town. He sees all those fake people and then he jumps into a refrigerator. (laughs) And and the, the best thing is, is like all those people spent all that money on atomic bunkers and who knew you could just put your family in the fridge. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Now we know the secret. Well, I want to know if the light went off. Yeah, right? <laughs> nice. You finally have Does the answer to that eternal yes, that's important. <laughs> it is important. It's a good thing you've got me here to, you know, to, to cover these details. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have missed that. Right. And now I'll just continue wondering. In the 1950s, people used to go to Las Vegas, and that was a touristy thing to do was watch the mushroom clouds go off. Jeez. Okay. Boy. You know, that just blows my mind. That idea that's like, let's go see the nukes. I mean, it might be pretty cool. I mean, obviously, there's going to be something visually spectacular. I'm sure about it would, it. yeah. Do you mind if I add a little bit to this? No, please do, okay. Steve. Uh, but late 60s, there was a man named Ernest J. Steinglass from Pittsburgh, Univers- uh, the University of Pittsburgh. And he was talking about the first bomb that was dropped and how they traced the cloud that went over the deep south. And they found out that the uh, infant deaths increased in that area and then decreased in the same way we know radioactive fallout to decrease. And he, he his contention was that uh, radioactive fallout, uh, the, the uh, strontium-90, crippled, as he put it, the reproductive machinery in humans. So just that one test, uh, he believed it was connected to those infant deaths. That was a that was a long time ago. I, I remember hearing that, you know, the same time watching the the takeoff for the moon, the, the 1969, the, the Apollo 11. And this guy came up on the news that time. I never forgot that. But anyway, go ahead. No, I mean, that's the kind of thing. It's like th- this idea of, um, and, and, you know, I hate, I always hate to think about government conspiracies. And I always think like, okay, you, you know, there can't be a real government conspiracy. They always have our best interests in mind. Um, ah. they, well, but do, but do they really? Or maybe they just get backed into a corner sometimes. Sure. But the people that made the decision to do 992 nuclear tests in uh, Nevada that might have killed half a million Americans, I don't want them to make any more decisions. Yeah. I I think that's that's safe to say. That's fair. Yeah. When you want to say vote the bums out, there's your one. And it's interesting, you know, what Steve was saying, that there were early whistleblowers. And I think when you go back in history, you find that, that there are these people who who were prescient, you know, who had it in their mind, you know, this is not a good thing. And uh, no one was listening to them. You know, they were like Cassandra's, modern day Cassandra's. And hey, it just went on. Right, right. So anyway, let's make sure we keep an eye on everything. Uh, But with watchdogs like the crew of CU on the other side, I think America's (laughs) in good hands, everybody. We'll protect you, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Okay, now thank you very much for joining us today. Mr. Steve Ward, all the way from Michigan by Battle Creek, hanging out. He's got uh, Tony the Tiger there with him, along with Snap Crackle. And uh, there's a leprechaun waiting to have a nightcap with him when he gets back. We were talking about the Fae, and they, they have them. They have them all in Battle Creek. Just tell me where that, that guy is, and I'm going to go into another room because I think those guys just creep me out, man. <laughs> They show up and you you don't invite them and they're there and it's like, hey. What's going on? Send them my way. Enough of you. So, Steve, if they want to learn more about you, um, is there a a good place? you have a a blog or a website or a place where they can find more about your kind of weirdness? Not so so far. Just ask Allison. She knows. But uh, I'm on Facebook. (laughs) I know where to find him. Uh, I will be doing a uh, in in the near future, like I'm I'm just slouching toward my own radio show uh, on 
uh, Paranormal UK Radio. It'll be called the High oh, Strangeness nice. Factor and uh, be one hour every fortnight, the way it goes right now. And for you people in Middle America and on the East and West Coast, that's every two weeks. Okay. Okay. I, I love say I love saying <laughs> Fortnite. And uh, I'm on Mac Maloney's Military X Files every week as a correspondent. On uh, there, the uh, I can't remember which broadcasting place it is, but you can download it. It's 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 all over the place. So I'm here and there. And and, uh, and listen, it was great to uh, to be here tonight. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Awesome. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you so much, Steve. You're always such a wealth of information. And Allison, if people want to read uh, some of your strange cryptic writings, where can they find that? Oh, well, you can find more information about me at MilwaukeeGhost.com. I also have a YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Mothman. And as always, I've got some amazing stuff on HawaiiParacon.com. All right. And of course, uh, there is going to be a brand new song inspired by the conversation, and you'll be able to find that one downloadable in the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 233. But if you'd like to learn more about Wendy and my strange music, where can we find that one? You can find that at sunspotuniverse.com. Fantastic. And uh, just would like to thank uh, all of our Patreon community for making it so that uh, we can continue doing the podcasts, making little videos, and making the songs every week. Thank you. We love you guys, and we're looking forward to the Hangout. Now, if you'd like to join our February Hangout, uh, where can people get on the Patreon one? They can find out all the information about that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not do a shout-out to our man, Dr. Ned. Doc Ned's at the level where he gets a shout-out in every single episode. So, Ned... For your friendship and your support. Thank you, Ned. We kiss you. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. The fairies are here. They're talking to me. They're talking through me, man.